evening and welcome to our evening service. That is exactly what I was going to suggest there, Kerry. Thank you for your great influence of having people come a little bit further to the front. Now, I was worried about the, the center being empty. Now it's full. Well, now it's getting fuller, fuller. Good to see you here this evening. I'm sure I don't see the screen on there, but there are folks joining us on Zoom tonight because they told us they would be on Zoom, and we thank the Lord for that. Again, we want to say how good it is to have Pastor Luke Henderson and his wife Luana uh, with us today, and we're going to ask uh, Pastor Luke now to come and read the scripture and lead us in prayer, please. Mm -hmm. Turn your Bibles, please, to... 2 Corinthians, or sorry, scripture reading, I'm getting my routines mixed up. <laughs> I'm going to read uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Lord God, thank you for the time we could be gathered as a church body tonight around the preaching of your word. Lord, we know there's a blessing in every verse as it's part of the great, great story of redemption of God redeeming man through Christ, his death and his life, death and resurrection. I ask you bless our hearts tonight and bless the preaching, bless the scriptures communicated. Bless us all in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Again, we welcome... Uh, Pastor Luke with us. I asked him if he would tell us a little bit about himself, about uh, his wife, Luana. Just uh, take a few minutes to do that, if you would, brother. Amen. Good evening. Praying Baptist Church. So, my name is Luke Henderson, my wife, Luana, in the pew there. You can't see her. You have the shape of the hair to guide you, <laughs> right? Easy to spot sometimes. So, I'm from the Yukon Territory. Luana is not. She's from Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Almost the two ends of the earth there. But in the providence of God, he created the internet for us to meet online before, bringing us together. Before that, uh, we got married just two years ago in Rio de Janeiro. Uh, and before the pandemic, I was part of a... I'll explain what it is. It was, I call it a, a cult or a sect. Although this is the same name as this church, Independent Baptist. But there's an actual denomination called an Independent Baptist like denomination. It's ironic that it's called Independent Baptist, but it acts, it functions as a, as a cohesive denomination, and it has different parts, so not each one is the same as the other sometimes, but there are darker areas of that world. I came out of a very dark one. I went to a seminary just before the pandemic in Oklahoma, where it was drilled into my head to preach expository. I mentioned this morning in my uh, Sunday morning message to search the scriptures when you preach. Don't You can't just say anything you want. You've got to actually say what the Bible says. And I call it my kind of Martin Luther experience, where as I was in seminary, I was getting to notice what we're saying in the pulpit in this denomination isn't actually what the Bible talks about. And what the Bible talks about, we're not speaking about. Most of what went on was American politics and the outward things like, you know, how long your wife's dress was, you know, if it wasn't past her, if it didn't, if it didn't go past her knees, you know, obviously you guys weren't good people and lots of things like that. Or if your music culture was something different than the church you came out of, um, you can judge people. But I started to notice that the Bible is talking about Jesus Christ, his life, his death and resurrection. And that seems to be whatever context, it seems to steer 
towards Jesus or from the topic of Christ's life uh, and death. And there's sort of this, pu- this pull going on. And at the same time, on a, another level, uh, the, the denomination itself isn't Calvinist. It's, um, although most Arminian churches won't call themselves Arminian, they'll say not. The, the word is, I believe the Bible, right? And most people say, don't give me theology, give me the Bible. Everyone has an expression of theology. I learned down the road, it's three-point Arminianism and a few other words, but it definitely rejection of anything Calvinistic. And I never had assurance of salvation. And for years, I mean years, over a decade, I searched and stressed over how could I actually know beyond experiences uh, and just feelings, how could I know that I had assurance of salvation in the pandemic, I left that denomination mostly out of just fatigue from wondering, um, how can I know? And through providence of God, actually, but a few days after I walked away, it was actually, in, I went up to, I was very active in ministry in that world, and I was actually in Church of Manitoba at the time, seeking if I was to plant a church in the Arctic. I, was, I got a job up there, I was working, I was sanding a floor, and I think it was the fact that I was sanding a floor for eight hours a day, day after day, just that the vibrations, you can think about a lot of things. And at some point, it stood up and said, I'm not part of this anymore. And in the providence of God, a couple of days later, there was a Calvinist pastor in Churchill who I met. And we started talking, and that set me on a path. And then uh, throughout the pandemic, uh, I went to study Reformed theology. It's not to be taken for granted that we have an articulation of the gospel, that what people call Calvinism, and it doesn't come from John Calvin, it's just what it's called, that the doctrines of grace are just that, the doctrines of understanding how God has shown man grace in Christ, that is a, a, a blessing that you cannot take lightly as, I'll give you an example, me and Luana in the Yukon still go through with this talking to different people, evangelicals, will, like Christians will always ask us that many conversations, people we fellowship with in the, fellowship within the city will just ask, what must a Christian do to, or what must someone do to, to be a Christian? I think, well, faith in Christ. What do you mean do to be, what, what do you have to do? Or they'll say, no, no, that's not what I mean, but like, what must a Christian really achieve in their life to know that they're a Christian? I think faith in Christ, you know, because it's, it's God's work. God has ordained our salvation. God's accomplished our salvation, regenerates us through the Holy Spirit, preserves us. It's God's work. We simply respond in faith. And you see people wandering, uh, me and Luana met online as I was studying Portuguese as I graduated Bible college. I thought, well, maybe I can uh, do missionary work in Brazil or Portugal, and I want to see which one. And in the process, we met on a language learning app. And quickly, I thought, oh, I'd better go to Brazil first to um, check that one out. And worked out great. And me and Luana dated in, in Rio. And um, during that time, I had plans to be a missionary through an organization. It didn't work out. And... It was the pandemic. I, I don't know. I have this. I, I, I like to be positive about it. I act fast. I'll jump and do things. And I'll say, well, let's go do. Um, during the pandemic, for example, uh, I was looking for anything to do. I could tell you I, the world was shutting down. And I would make phone calls to missionaries saying, if you got a space, I'll come to your country and go there. I had a conversation with a guy. I was telling my wife with Botswana just uh, when the pandemic started. And we were going to go for an adventure in the desert and preach in the desert. And then. Because Botswana was still open, but then next week it closed, and things just kept closing. Uh, but then I, there was a small window between Canada's airports being closed and open and Brazil's airports. And this, it was uh, the, on Christmas, uh, end of January uh, 2021, 
And I took that shot and I jumped in. Trudeau closed the, the airports down the next week. And then he had those Trudeau hotels where he was locking up in a hotel for a few weeks. If you guys remember that awful experience, I didn't want to come back. So I stayed and just um, I kept studying Reformed theology, spending time with Luana. And at some point, you know, I just saw that our great plan was to, uh, how do I say this? Just with her one day, just knowing, I want to marry this girl. And we're going to go to Portugal as missionaries. And got married and we never made it to Portugal. We had made contact with a missions team there. Uh, I had been searching for an area of the world that was really, really unevangelized. Like, like Canada is a mission field, no doubt. It is. It is. But I was trying to find a place that had like no gospel witness, like zero. And missionaries talk about things like, for example, the, I think it's called the 1040 window, like Southeast Asia, highly, you know, it's Buddhist, Islamic, or Hindu, and there's like a lot of people, like lots of people, and there's low percent, percentage of Christians. And that's true. But you also find churches there, because missionaries are aware about it, are aware of it. And I'm going to search, where is somewhere where there's like nothing? And I'm going to look about, like, look at like Arctic Canada, so I end up in Churchill, for example, and we found Portugal. Portugal has lots of areas where it's just incredibly, incredibly Catholic. Incredibly Catholic. And we found a, a missions team that's actively planning churches on the island of Ilha de Madeira. Madeira Island in English. And uh, we've had a great relationship with the, that missions team to this day still. We never haven't made it uh, there yet. We came to Canada, back to Canada eight months ago. And we've been living in the Yukon where I'm from originally. And... Uh, we came to Ontario here because after some attempts of like starting a house church in the Yukon, we had a few other shots at doing ministry up there. We really wanted to get a foundation underneath us with, with the Sovereign Grace Fellowship, other Reformed churches. Um, and we had made a contact also with the Brian Baptist here, was invited to preach. But uh, our goal here, me and Luana, is to just serve Jesus Christ somewhere, anywhere we would like to, if nothing else happens, to go to Portugal. And that's going to be our, that's our, almost our default, is to eventually make it there. And we will go there, just even, even if just to touch base and to shake the hands of the missionaries. Um, sometimes I think of it like this. There's an allegory that's made of um, hunting raccoons. They say that you can trap, you can put a marble in a bottle and a raccoon will grab it, okay? The raccoons like to grab stuff. They have little hands. They can wash their hands and do stuff. If you want to catch a raccoon, just put a marble in a bottle. It'll reach in and grab the marble, but it won't be able to pull its hand out, and it will not let go of that marble. And it'll, it, no matter, obviously you tie the ball to something, but it, it can't let go, and it won't. No matter what, you can threaten its life, it'll hold the marble. If you break the bottle and free its hand, it'll simply take the marble, look at it, drop it, and walk away. It's like an instinct thing. I heard the same things with monkeys, too. Uh, so I feel like that sometimes. I set my sights, marry Luana, elope to Portugal. I feel like the raccoon with the marble sometimes. Like, even if I just go there, shake the hand of the missions team, <laughs> let go of the marble, I can, my life is complete, right? That's how I feel often. But we're here now, and the providence of God has brought us to uh, Sudbury up here. And I, re and, uh, I didn't mention this detail, so I'm not good with the, the chronology, in the pandemic, just before the pandemic, I lived up uh, in Barrie for six months before the pandemic started. I realized that I had come here before. I worked with a sign company, and I realized I did a sign at Walmart when I was there today. The kind of the memory click. Oh, yeah, I've done that pylon sign. One of the, I remember that day. 
I'm surprised I, you know, because I, I was driving up here thinking, man, some of these rest stops and things that I see look familiar, but like, I swear I haven't been here before, but it turns out I was. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's been a great blessing. It's been a great adventure, you know, um, since the, it's been three years since the pandemic started and my life's changed. Uh, my understanding of the scriptures changed. I uh, feel very blessed to have the, well, the grace of God to discover Reformed theology to, to learn the doctrines of grace. They're I always say not, not things to just take for granted. They are, there are many, many issues in faith or practice or of our lives that we don't realize are gospel issues, that they're actually reflections of how we understand the gospel, that it's not just Christian living. A Christian living is just an outpouring of how I understand my life in light of Christ's work. How I understand sanctification and what it means for me to stand in God's eyes. How do I stand? How do I live my life as a child of God, as someone who believes the gospel and is in Christ? And it's definitely changed my life, my heart, and I would love uh, to bless others and you know, want to let the, get involved with churches, missions teams, anything where the gospel is being proclaimed. Now, tonight I would ask you, turn in your Bibles or I keep um, rambling about what we're doing, to Genesis 1 again. Genesis 1. Genesis 1. Our text selection tonight will be Genesis 1 to 5. Genesis 1, 1 to uh, verse 5. This morning we talked about, uh, the verse was, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and we discussed how it was a statement of God's sovereignty, a challenge to the world, and a comfort to God's people, and how knowing that we live under a great God can give us great comfort, understanding that we stand in the hand of God, and can be at peace, understanding He has created great salvation for us. And I wanted Genesis 1, as I said earlier this morning, the events given in the seven days of creation, the details given, are very specific. It's actually quite sparse for the great work God did. And it's not like a how-to. If you approach Genesis thinking, well, I want to I know exactly how this happened, it, it's not meant to be read that way. Although you are told how it happens in a sequence, the details given are not like technical details. They're specific details that are meant to reflect something about God. God could have said anything he wanted about anything that he did. He made the world, but he chose very specific details to focus on. I wanted to focus on the, fir uh, the first day specifically. I'll reference a couple others, but specifically a theme in the first day. And reading from verse 1 to 5, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Remember, I mentioned this morning that the context for Genesis 1 is not just Genesis 1. It's the people of Israel wandering the desert. That this is revelation from God to the prophet Moses to the people of Israel who have come out of Egypt and are preparing to go into Canaan. 
and they're stuck between pagan nations and a hostile environment and they're trying to make sense of how to live and the revelation of God was to show them how they could have hope in the desert as they wandered. And and here we see a, a very interesting, interesting uh, picture given by God. of The first uh, detail he wants to focus on that and the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. This is another well, what to explain tonight, it's another declaration of the power of God. And it's going to zero in on a specific detail. So this image first, the setting that it paints, and the earth is without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So it pictures the earth, but shapeless, void, dark, and deep, like, like water. Now, this First of all, in the ancient context, if you were reading this in the desert, or maybe you were hearing this, maybe you're from, from Egypt or Canaan land, it was a familiar image. So in other religions in the Middle East, in Egypt, in Canaan, Babylon, or other parts of the ancient world, their origin stories or mythology began in a very similar way to the beginning of Genesis. There were some details that were very common. They usually started off with this image of darkness or chaos or something bad or like darkness, uh, maybe a monster, like a, like a dragon or a serpent, very common images. And so like, like Egypt had one and usually what happens is something like a god or something they might worship emerges and usually defeats the darkness or uh, brings some kind of order. Uh, and this is very common, surprisingly common. I was reading just up in the Yukon, I got in front of the library. I call it the, the Viking Bible. I found this. They have a Viking section in my library in Whitehorse, reading the, the legends of what, whatever the Vikings believed. And they had an origin story, shockingly similar. Darkness in the beginning, kind of some chaos and things happen. Uh, the Greeks had a beginning like that. Even the First Nations, where I'm from in the Yukon, their story begins in darkness. Now, that's not to compare the Bible to those stories. In fact, what this, first of all, on, on a simple level, what Genesis 1-1 is, it's a polemic setting the record straight. Saying you might have these beliefs of, well, whatever you believe in Egypt, of like raw coming out of the water or something, or whatever, the Canaanites had different, various beliefs. It's a polemic saying, no, let's set down the, the, the rules here. God created the heaven and the earth. Elohim created the heaven and the earth. And yes, it was without form and void. This is how it is. We're going to set the record. So it is a polemic statement because it's entering a world where all kinds of origin stories existed. The Bible is confronting them with God's creative work. And second, this is very fascinating that what God focuses on initially and that he focuses on the, 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 there being this earth without form and void and dark and water. First, this was a com- it was a common uh, image, common story. Second, it was a powerful image. And the reason why people gravitated towards talking about this, and I don't know if they got their ideas from, obviously, the God's Word, how they came up with it, but this idea of, the com- if you look at these um, origin stories, there's, there's a commonality of darkness, chaos, problems, something uncontrolled, something bad. And in fact, in the Hebrew here, when it talks about without form and void, there's sort of a play on words in the Hebrew, and it has an association with the word like desert. 
and this idea is that it represents something, I want to say something like bad, something that it's inhospitable. Obviously, life couldn't be here. That as you read through this, there'll be a God will uh, create light and uh, separate the waters and create land and inhabit the earth with people, plants, and animals. And a lot of that is to undo the idea of in, uh, it being inhospitable. So to people uh, at this time, when they saw heard darkness, a formlessness, void, the deep, it was like a, a scary negative image that would represent stuff they couldn't control. Now, on a technical level, I want you just to, to pause here. I'm saying that's a negative image, okay? Uh, someone might say, some theologian in the pew will say, sin doesn't enter until Genesis 3. How could I call something bad? I'm not saying it's sin, okay? Sin does not enter until Genesis 3, but yet, okay, don't overthink this one because this is just a picture being given. It happened like this, but God is communicating in specific images. He's taking what happened, and the earth was like that, but he's describing it and giving an image that resonated with people. In Genesis is the beginning of the story of redemption. God creates the world. God creates man. God begins to plan our salvation after man falls. And uh, the story begins through, through Abraham, Moses, and then uh, into David, and Christ comes. And although you might have prophecies in, uh, throughout, the, throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, you get really doctrinally specific, specific letters. Most of the theology in the Bible really begins in the first three chapters in Genesis. And it's easy to miss because it's given in themes, images, and symbols, which then radiate. It's like dropping a, a, a stone in the water and it begins to radiate out. There's many, many images that you might miss in the Old Testament. And, oh, I even put a, a plug for... You don't know on millennials, on millennials, you might want to get into it because a lot of the themes of millennialism, like, like the, the, the temple and things like that, they begin here in Genesis. So darkness, don't get, don't overthink the image of it, of a, of a negative image here before sin enters. It's an image being given to people who would have understood because at this time, darkness, chaos, the sea and water were scary things for people. You might not realize that in human history. There's been more time in human history where people didn't go into the water than we do go into the water. Okay? Um, only up until recently was the age of sail, sailing and exploring. Most of the time in the world, we didn't go. We, we did not go into the water. We hugged the coastlines, and the image of, of darkness uh, resonated. And I'm just going to do a couple verses. I don't want to lose too much time there. Just to, I feel like to prove this, just in case someone might not agree. But what I'm trying to idea is that there's this, there are these images that are given. So I'm just going to read Matthew 8:12 here. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So that's uh, obviously a euphemism for hell there, but calling it darkness. Or let's go to Luke 11, Luke 11:39. Nope, 34. I'm sorry. The light of the body is the eye. Therefore, when thine eye is single, thy whole body also is full of light. But when thine eye is evil, thy body also is full of darkness. So, probably sin, evil. But it's giving that word darkness. It was an image that was easily to, easy to grasp. Second Corinthians, again, just making a point here. 
about these. Second Corinthians six fourteen. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? Again, darkness having these connotations that are easily to, to, to be understood without declaring specific meanings. And just to drive this point home even further, okay, just two more references. In at the end of the Bible, in Revelation 21.1, talking about the new heaven and the new earth, it says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the earth were, uh, first earth were passed away. And there was no more sea. So the sea was a negative image. Even there, and this idea of the new heaven, new earth, that there will be no more ocean, no more chaos, no more nothing uncontrolled in creation. And I'll drive just one uh, more. And it's a fascinating study in the Bible. I'm just trying to start this one off. That uh, there was images that resonated with people and that would have, although we might feel separated to some degree, they're, they're basic images that, that resonated very quickly. A great example, and I, will, I don't want to open up the can of worms on this one, but if you go to Isaiah 51, 9 and 10, just, I want to just make a point, and I think it's a very interesting verse. Okay, Isaiah 51, 9 and 10. So it says, Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake, as in the ancient days, in the generations of old, art thou not it that hath cut Rahab and wounded the dragon? Art thou not it which hath dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, and hath made the depths of the sea a way for the ransom to pass over? And there's that famous uh, verse, we sing uh, there's a chorus song, Therefore the reign of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion, and everlasting joy shall be upon their head, and shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and morning shall flee away. So in that, but in that verse nine and ten, the end of nine is it's talking about deliver, delivering the children of Israel through the Red Sea. But it says, describing the the defeat of of Pharaoh, it says, "Art thou not it that hath cut Rahab and wounded the dragon?" So Rahab. So it's a reference to Egypt, but that word also has a meaning like sea monster. Okay. So what what this image is. To just give you a quick um, explanation, it's describing God's victory over Pharaoh, bringing the people of Israel through the sea and slaying a dragon in the water. I think that's great. That ain't all glory. That's a, it's a Egypt was not a sea monster. Egypt was not a dragon, but it's symbolism that resonated very fast in the minds of these people. They knew these. They knew these images that they could say hath cut Rahab, wounded the dragon, defeated Pharaoh. There was no dragons in the sea crossing, okay? If you read Exodus. But it's an image that would have resonated. So when they spoke of, of sea and chaos, darkness, people's minds would have perked up. And it's still for us today that we intuitively associate negativity and things that are scary with darkness. Being afraid of the dark. You can think of anything, if you ever walk into anything like death metal, heavy metal stuff, don't get involved, that's satanic, it's always dark, black, things like that. That uh, intuitive for us today, we still live in this world where there is darkness. And so they, when they said they this image of things they could not control, um, darkness, the sea, 
um, formlessness. It really would have uh, resonated with them. It's because they lived in a dark world. They were in the desert after they were delivered by the hand of uh, God's outstretched arm through the prophet Moses, through the Red Sea, after taken captive and not to start with the patriarchs in Genesis, but this is God redeeming a nation in a fallen world. Sin had entered the world since man was deceived by Satan and man was separated from the presence of God. Even though man was made to live in God's presence, to enjoy fellowship with him, blessings and just a wonderful existence in harmony with creation and our creator. But man being sin was driven from the presence of God. Uh, strong language in the Bible be, being used like being alienated from God. And first, God, man was separated from God in this dark world. Two, uh, sin entered. And the sin has lots of, lots of effects. First, being separated from God. Second, sin uh, you can describe as broken relationships. You turn to Titus 3 3, describing the life of sin that they, these people came out of before they found Jesus Christ. Titus 3 3, for we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, and hating one another. It's a cold world. And it's easy to take for granted that we live in Canada. In the United States have a history of oh, a great and beautiful history of gospel preaching, churches, real Bible-believing Christians, and there is this sort of morality that floats in the air. There are some places in the world, if you were to travel to and spend time, which have which were dark and do not have a, sort of a, a Christian moral standard, and you cheated and ripped off, and people are rough to each other. If you just travel, done some traveling, but the it says here that they hateful and hating one another. And we can see that in our own lives that when we sin against one another, it destroys relationships between family members, friends, marriages. And it, your sin hurts other people. And not only that, that when sin entered the world, they had the darkness of being separated from God and the darkness of having broken relationships because of sin. We also have this great darkness of suffering, um, at the hands of Satan and in suffering in the bondage of sin. When I was in Brazil, or where, where I was um, recently, there was a high prevalence of these um, religions from Africa that either had stayed in Brazil when the slaves were brought there or had been reviving kind of a cultural thing with people trying to get back into it. And there was a high presence of, of African religion. I walked down the corner and there would always be these Buckets of chickens, dead chickens, okay, in the corners where I lived. People sacrificing chickens. I could go to the different stores um, where there would be, like, stores for idols and stores for, um, what do you call it, well, the chickens, poor things, uh, to, to sacrifice. And, you know, we don't, you may encounter people here, especially people who are caught up in the occult, that might have experience with, you know, demons and things like that, but... It's very common there because people are involved with these um, religions where they worship spirits and things like that. And I, I don't really, I really don't like that topic because I believe there's a real spiritual world there. I don't enjoy talking about demons and things like that. I'm very uh, glad that I'm under the hand of Christ and I'm safe from that. But it, it's real, and uh, you see it uh, like in countries where it's more, uh, it's here but hidden. 
and it's definitely here, but this, but you see it like I was in Brazil where it was in the open, right? You knew Satan was running amok with the sacrificing of the animals and the syncretism and the idolatry. Here, Satan's hiding, hidden behind screens and things like that, and he's doing his business different ways. But the real um, uh, threat and reign of Satan is, is real in our world. And when sin entered, Satan has been, uh, we call the Bible calls him the prince of the power of the air. He truly has his kingdom here amongst the lost. Not only that, he can rule because he's ruling over people with sinful, wicked hearts who are by themselves enslaved to sin. The sixth chapter of Roman Romans, I'm not going to spend too much time with going through every uh, verse I had written down, but the Bible describes that we, uh, before Christ, we are slaves of sin. That we, because of our corrupted, fallen nature, we sin not because we're enticed or we're pushed to it, because from our corrupted hearts we choose that which is dishonoring to God. We choose that which is evil. We choose that which hurts others and dishonors God and causes others and us to suffer and leads us to condemnation. When God said, I'll read it again, describing the state of creation before he began to work after he created he did create something and then the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep what god was saying is a simple statement darkness is real that's what the image says darkness is real people would have listened going okay darkness formlessness water something i can't control something that's beyond me as a human And God, and amongst that, God says, but the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. So amidst amidst that darkness, amidst that uh, formlessness and that void, God enters and says, stop. Let there be light. And it was. The Bible says, and it was good. And remember, as you mentioned in the very first point, that this was a common image amongst the other religions in the world, Egypt, Babylon, uh, parts of Mesopotamia, Canaan, uh, other parts like the Romans, and even they had their own similar story. But in those, actually, usually the darkness was defeated with like a, a battle of sorts between some kind of deity or God. But here, again, the whole one major point of this is God setting the record straight amongst in the Middle East, is saying, yes, there's darkness, but God made light. And there was no battle. God just did it. He won. And it was good. And it's a statement of God's power that he entered. And just with his word, he created light. And he defeated it. It was nothing like the other stories that were out there. That this God is different. That there is darkness. But just with his word, God can enter and create light in the darkness. Not only that, that it was good. He created good that he named this, named it, and it's very important. We gloss over that detail. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Naming things would have been understood immediately as an act of dominion and sovereignty. And remember some uh, examples in the Old Testament when the Judean kings were taken over by Babylon. The Babylonian king renamed them. And I think, oh, it was, I'm thinking... Pharaoh Nico renamed an Israelite king. That was an idea of, or Daniel was renamed when he went to, to, to Babylon. It was a, a common thing, you know, dominance, uh, sovereignty, renaming. That's why 
It's a, I always was confused why it was it what Adam named the animals, why that's important. That's a symbol of dominion. Adam had dominion over the animals. He had the right to name them. And again, uh, in a world where they would have maybe worshipped light and darkness, things like that, that God is saying, no, he's above all of this. He names creation. And it's a statement that God is powerful, that he's sovereign. And God can, and that God can bring light out of darkness. And that even now, even though in our dark world, God can bring light out of our darkness, whether we're living in sin and suffering and we stand before God as sinners condemned or we're his children, but we're suffering and we're fearful in this world. God can bring light in our darkness. How? The same way in Genesis, as he said, let there be light and through his powerful creating word, he brought light in the darkness. When sin entered this world, Man was driven from his presence, but God said, as he read this morning, and I'll quickly read it again. If you hear me preach, I will almost every sermon quote Genesis 3.15, and God said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. God made a promise that since man was corrupted, uh, fell into sin, and was deceived by Satan, God said, I will undo that, I will defeat the work of Satan. And that through God's declaration, his promise, God began to fulfill that promise through time, through through Abraham promising to to bless the world, through David promising that he would, uh, one of his seed would reign over his people forever. And ultimately, God would reveal how he would fulfill his word, his powerful word that he gave. And it was through his son, Jesus Christ. This morning, we turned to John 1.1. I ask you to turn back there again, John 1 1. That in this dark world, that God sent his son, it says here in John 1 1 to 1 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and all thing and without him was not anything made that was made. The Christ is Creator God, verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse 5. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And an interesting detail here is that word comprehended it not is katalambo in Greek. And you'll see in some other versions it's translated, and the darkness has not overcome it. It's a very different meaning. You'll think, well, which one is it? Is it comprehended it not, or overcome it. And I think it's actually both. So how can that be? Because the word has two connotations. Clearly in the King James, the word comprehended fits perfectly the context. It does. You'll see as you keep reading, came to his world, this world did not know him. Perfect. But also, given the John 1 is also giving a obvious, obvious reference to Genesis and it's following the pattern that it's like a commentary on Genesis as well because that word had a Lambo. And remember, we're this was, it was written in Greek, and people who understood Greek and heard Greek would have caught the double meaning that catalambo can go both ways, between overcoming, comprehending. Two meanings, they would have understood the connotation of that word that is also used to be like, the darkness that has not defeated, that Christ in the darkness shines and overcomes the darkness. Uh, beautiful verse. And that Christ came and he lived and died and he 
as the promised Messiah uh, who was promised to deliver God's people, delivered them in a way that no one expected. He simply he lived amongst us, uh, living a perfect life, healing the sick, raising the dead, curing the blind, but he was betrayed by the hands of sinful men, died on the cross, and he was buried, but he rose again the third day. And that for all who put their trust in Christ will receive the promised Holy Spirit and eternal life in Christ. And that this, this life and this, uh, this uh, salvation given to sinners, this miracle that takes place, and this morning we discussed how, we talked about how the act of salvation in man is so holy, an act of God and not man, it is compared to creation itself, uh, where we're called a, a, a new creature in God. That's why we, Christ used words like born again, made new, that Christ makes us new by coming in, and it's not something that I put together, like I work towards my salvation. No, I simply uh, am born again through uh, the Holy Spirit coming to my heart, turning my heart of stone to a heart of flesh, and, and giving me the, the, the gift of faith to turn to Christ. And this is so much an act of God. And I want to show you a different verse in 2 Corinthians in this morning. 2 Corinthians, you need to read this 4, 6. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, in the face of Jesus Christ. That are, and, and again, remember how I said in Genesis, it speaks in images and themes and pictures. Well, here we have the same things. Our hearts were dark, and Christ made them light. And in the face of, it says, the, uh, it has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, referencing that at the same way, the same way as we're saying, that God shine light in the darkness. God has shown in our dark hearts in Christ. That it's truly an, an act of creative wonder to bring a sinner from darkness to light. But it's a hope that in our darkness, whether we're cut off from God in our sins, rebellious from God, or we're simply following Christ but scared, um, uh, fearful of things we can't control, there is light, and it's in Jesus. It's in Jesus. He can take away our, our dark heart and give us a heart of light and shine there and, or guide us. And what the salvation leads to, we mentioned before that what sin caused in the world was separation from God, sin and broken relationships, suffering at the hands of Satan and spiritual bondage. Uh, it's just a sin and corruption. Oh, I actually missed that point earlier. I'll mention it now. But what it leads to, salvation in Christ, the going from darkness to light, first uh, leads to, first from separation from God, to reconciliation. That we're brought, uh, when we were far from God, back to being in God's presence. Hebrews 2.7. You don't have to read, uh, flip there, I'll read them. There's a few verses for each point. I'll fast again. 2.17. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him, Christ, to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. That we are, because of our sins, we're separated from God. Now we're brought 
close to God through Christ. Not only that, our sin caused broken relationships, but with uh, the Holy Spirit living with us, where instead of being separated from one another, hating and uh, one another and hating each other, we're brought together. This would be here, for example, in the body of Christ, the church, where you have a rough crowd united together. You have sinners, and I mean real sinners. You know each other. You know yourself. You know who you try to teach Sunday school with. You know who you try to work with and coordinate a simple ministry with, okay? You know you're working with other sinners. You spend any time in church, but we are united instead of separated by sin. Not only that, this is the beautiful part of the church. You're united um, through mutual love in Christ, but even simple things like confession and grace, where people here, if you get involved, will let you down constantly. But through grace, you show grace to each other and you work with each other. You restore one another. You encourage one another. And that's the opposite of what happened before. You were in darkness. Now this is a place where we live in the light. We uh, see uh, Ephesians 1.5 written down. Ephesians 1.5. Nope. Scratch that. My mistake. Sort of a different point. My mistake there. Sorry. And then so we are relationships. We are united in the church. And not only that, before we were suffering at the hand of Satan. But now in Christ, what we've received is freedom. We are, as, uh, in the book of uh, Romans 6.18, we're called servants of righteousness. That although we still live in sinful flesh, we're not servants of sin. That we have hope in Christ to overcome our sin, to find grace when we do fall into sin, and the hope of sanctification that Christ will be formed in us and we're continually growing in Jesus. And finally, a point that I missed before, but corruption, that when sin entered, God said that if they ate the fruit, that they would die, and he meant that physically and spiritually. And our bodies suffer corruption. Living in this sinful world, we get sick, we get hurt, we get old, and our bodies fall apart, and eventually we die. But God has promised us in Christ the resurrection. As Christ said in uh, John 11, I am the resurrection. That Christ has risen and we're in Christ. That in some way, in a, in a biblical way to speak, that we have risen in Jesus, but we also we all eventually rise fully in Jesus when we're glorified. That's when we'll be given a new body. And this beautiful language that's used in the book of Daniel. I'll read it for you. Daniel 12, uh, 12 uh, 2 to 3. It's beautiful to see how the Bible speaks of, of the resurrection. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Verse 3. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. In this sermon we've been speaking about Mostly the image of darkness, but the opposite of darkness is light. And this idea of, again, the pictures used, that they shall rise again and shine, the Bible. In the simple, beautiful, the easy to understand language, they shall shine. And of course, New Testament, we get more explicit with technical detail. We get a new, how the new body is, it will be like Christ's and glorified. But simply here, in Christ, although we were darkness, we will shine as the stars forever. And finally, a final point here, and read some verses. 
As we mentioned this morning, we embrace our position under the Creator as creatures and enjoy life as we're meant to be. We find joy as Christians when we embrace our light-giving God who gives light in our darkness. We enjoy a life as, as children of light. Ephesians 5.8 Ephesians 5.8 says, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye children in are ye light in the Lord? Walk as children of light. You have gone from darkness to light. Again, simple, beautiful pictures. In First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians five five. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. So here, as a church here, we are light gathered together around Christ. And that's a, a great image of, the, of how Christ sees us, how we are. We shine as lights to the world. And we, we get the, the blessing to have a fruitful life. As Christ said, I have come that they might have life, and they might have, uh, might have life abundantly. That darkness with the fear and the the confusion and the chaos but with christ we have joy and peace and harmony first knowing that we live under god and although the darkness is real and it is if you don't know christ as your savior you are in darkness you are separated from god you live in your sins you have no hope in jesus and if you were so, unfortunately, die without Christ, you will be condemned to hell. But God, who created light in the darkness, has promised salvation freely to all who would come to him. And if you would just turn to Christ, you will receive salvation in the Holy Spirit, and there shall be light in your darkness. And if you are, as the Bible says, the children of light, praise God. But you live in a dark world, plagued by sin on the right hand and on the left, of all kinds, and you still inhabit, uh, uh, live in sinful flesh, and you aren't rented temptations, and you combat the temptations of Satan also. But we are children of light, and we serve the God of light. And we can find great joy and, and knowing that we have the hope, that we can find grace seeking God and seeking Christ and the hope of sanctification as we are molded into Christ's image. Oh, so it was a simple idea. Again, as Genesis spoke in pictures, a simple, simple uh, invitation or, or call tonight is just, there is darkness, but seek the God who creates light in the darkness in the face of Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, as you bless these people tonight, Lord, your, your children and sheep and whoever else may be here, God, we love you, Lord, and we just want to honor you and to love you and Ask that we would step into the light and join your presence, God. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.